Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn how to use your words wisely, idioms, expression, and meaning. My first guest is Martha Barnett, who is the co-host of the public radio show, Away With Words, heard each week by listeners on national public radio affiliates across North America and worldwide by podcast. Before her work in radio, Martha was a reporter for the Washington Post, and an editorial writer for the Louisville Courier Journal. She's the author of three books on word origins. And Martha is in the house to play with words. (laughs) Here I am. Yes. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Martha. Let's talk about the embedded joy of language. Lisa, how many hours do you have? (laughs) Because... I am I am in love with language. I am all about language. There's uh, on our show Way with Words, we end up talking about slang and word origins, those linguistic heirlooms that were handed down through your family, maybe a weird thing your grandma said and uh, you know, you didn't know if it was its her word or if other people <laughs> used it. We talk about linguistic diversity. You know, one of my favorite things that happens on on our radio show is that people will call after, you know, they've grown up in one part of the country, say they've grown up in South Carolina, and they move to Oregon, and they use a word or a phrase, and we get this again and again and again, people say, they looked at me like I had two heads. They've never heard this word before. What's wonderful about American English is that it is so deliciously diverse like that. So we talk about that kind of thing. Uh, I love talking about word origins because a lot of times, you know, Ralph Waldo Emerson said language is fossilized. Language is fossil poetry. The etymologist (laughs) finds the deadest word to have once been a brilliant picture Language is fossil poetry. And that's really true. So if you have any interest at all in poetry or literature, um, you can't help but find all of this really delicious. Do I sound joyous, Lisa? (laughs) Tell me about those two heads, Martha. Tell me about the origin of the two heads, because I don't know where it comes from, but I definitely have heard the expression. (laughs) Well, I think that expression itself just has to do with, you know, sometimes people say they look at me like I had two heads, or sometimes they might say like I had three eyes. It's just something that is, um, is, you know, supernatural. It's not, it's out of the ordinary. It's not what you're expecting to see. And for example, I mean, we might have uh, a caller call the show uh, because she grew up in Texas and she moves to upstate New York and she uses the word tump. T-U-M-P. Do you use that word? Never heard of it. Tump? Really? Okay, Lisa, where did you grow up? I grew up in Southern California, where we say water. Oh, okay. <laughs> water. Water. You know, there's something like 23 different pronunciations uh, of that word water. It's, it's, uh, that's, another, that's another fascinating thing that we talk about on the show is, is various uh, uh, pronunciations of water. Like in, if you're in Philadelphia, you're going to say water. Water, um, exactly. But yeah, but there are lots and lots of different uh, uh, examples of that. But speaking of water, um, I grew up in Kentucky and I used the word tump. And it's a word that's very much associated with people in the South. It's T-U-M-P. And for example, I might say, oh, Lisa, watch out. Don't, don't let that glass of water tump over. And you can kind of guess what it means to, to tumble over or to be bumped 
Uh, it's kind of a combination of those words. But it, I tell you, it's really funny when you grow up using a word or phrase and you think everybody knows it. And then you move someplace else and you use that phrase and people look at you like you have two heads. Yeah. Well, y'all is, is, is another one. I mean, now it's pretty ubiquitous, but mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. somebody used y'all, you knew they were from the South. Now people use it in common language all the time. You're exactly right, Lisa. Um, and it's also associated more and more with our urban youth. Um, it's, and part of the reason is that it's such a handy term because, <laughs> because, you know, in English, our second person plural, that Y-O-U looks just like first person, uh, singular, uh, first person. Um, and so we don't, we don't have a, a second person plural that looks different from the singular version of it. And so y'all functions really well. I would expect in another generation or so that we're going to hear a whole lot more of y'all because it's so useful. It is. And the contraction is sweet. (laughs) It is. It is. Let's go to family linguistic heirlooms or go back to it because I have never heard that term before. And these are words that are family specific, little treasured nugget words. Well, yes. Um, you may not have heard it before because I think I made it up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times people will call us and say, um, I coined this word, but so often uh, somebody else came up with it before that person. Uh, it's, it's very, very difficult and rare to coin a new word. And so I may well not have coined the term linguistic heirloom, but um, but I love it because I think it describes this thing that happens when people call up and they say, um, you know, my grandmother used to have this term for the end of a loaf of bread. She called it the bunce, B-U-N-C-E. Does anybody else use that? The bunce. What, huh. <laughs> what, do you have a term for that, Lisa, for the end of, a, of like a the baguette heel. or something? The heel. The heel. Yeah, that's what I grew up saying, but um, different people have different terms for this. And, and there are a lot of, uh, you know, terms that families make up. We play with language. Um, kids help us to play with language. And, you know, there's, there's so many times, I'm trying to think of an example where um, somebody will write to us and say, you know, my kid came up with this. Oh, here's an example. Um, uh when a kid is being like a really small kid is being told to behave, the kid might say, I am being have. And, you know, they're, they're trying to, to figure out how to work with language. But, but, you know, families delight in that kind of thing and often pick up that word and, uh, and use it. I mean, I, I hear all the time from people who, who say, you know, my kid came up with this term when he was really little, and we still use it. You know, he's 25 now, and we still use this term in our family. So, there, you know, there's this, um, uh, an idiolect is, is a, linguistic, a linguist term for, for your own way of speaking. And you also have, a fam, I think the word is famalect, uh, which is the way that your family speaks, because it's unique to each family, you know, couples come up with their own language oh, yeah. that, that, you know, <laughs> that nobody would understand. I was thinking, in fact, about doing some time on our show uh, a, a segment on the things that couples say to get out of being at a party or something. Oh, you know, like, like, like the what, safe what's word. The secret signal? Do you yeah. have <laughs> like, a, like a secret signal that you have with a friend or a companion when you, when you just you know, you're, you're full, you're ready to go, but you want to be polite. So <laughs> done and dusted, ready to roll. Oh gosh. Yeah. That's, that would be funny to like interview couples about their sort of secret language. I've got, yes. I've got two Familex or Idiolex. I'm going to, I'm going to, okay. I'm going to tell them to you and see okay. if you know what they are. One okay, is a numb. A numb. A numb. Okay. That sounds like it would have to do with eating, but go ahead. Spot on, numb or num oh. num or nummies food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's okay, from when the kids go. were little, <laughs> and it yeah, stuck. Uh-huh. Yeah. And the other is a hummy. A hummy. 
Man, I'm seeing, I'm, of course, going through my mental Rolodex here, you know, <laughs> thinking Humvee, Hummingbird, Hummy, maybe with a mispronunciation of honey. I, I have no idea. What is it? A kazoo? Tummy. A what? A tummy. Stomach. A t- oh, 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 tummy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When my daughter you- was little, she would, she would rub her stomach, you know, like a little Buddha. And she goes, here, my mm-hmm. hummy. <laughs> That's adorable, right? And it sticks around in your family, and that becomes a linguistic heirloom that uh, that you pass on uh, to other people in your family, or maybe to friends. You know, speaking of food, we were just talking on the show about the term that you use for, say, you know, you're just too tired to make dinner, and you just tell the family, you know, just just get whatever you want out of the fridge, you know, just it's, it's left overnight. I mean, right. We, we had somebody tell us, oh, in our family, we call that cream of frigid air, which I just love. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or get your own. It sounds like pasta, but it's get like, your you know, get your own. That's, That's a good one. <laughs> We're That's a really get your good one. Tonight. <laughs> Fun one. Um, let's talk about how others speak. Because I come from a, a family that really appreciates proper. Mm-hmm. Spoken word, you know, mm-hmm. right? And 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 things over the past few decades, to say the least, have gotten very relaxed, you know. So instead yes. of saying you and I or you and me, mm-hmm. you, you lead with your own pronoun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do we navigate that? That is a wonderful question, um, and you're you're asking that of an English teacher's kid, so. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so when my mother uh, uh, heard somebody say end a sentence with a preposition or something, oh yeah, she she would actually go to the blackboard, which is what they had in those days, you know, the the slate blackboard. She would go to the blackboard and take her fingernails and drag it down the blackboard and say, "That's what that sounds like to me." However, <laughs> the problem is that you really run into a lot of problems when you start correcting people's grammar Um, in part because some of the quote unquote rules of grammar um, were just kind of made up by these 18th century grammarians as kind of a way to distinguish uh, people who were more learned um, from people who weren't. And, Actually, the the uh, the prohibition against ending a sentence with a preposition is frankly just bunk. As as someone once said, it's really it's non. Yes, as as someone once said, it's nonsense up with which I will not put. <laughs> <laughs> and and the 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 rule that you probably heard about never split an infinitive. That again is another made up rule that really has no. Um, firm basis. It, it was trying to fit, it was again, those, those 18th century grammarians trying to fit the swollen feet of English into the too tight shoes of Latin grammar, because in Latin, you never split an infinitive. The, the infinitive is a form of the verb itself. And so, in other words, the, some of those words are actually arbitrary. And the problem, too, when you get into correcting other people's grammar, I mean, we can talk about manners and, and you know, the linguistic. That's another show, Martha. That's another show. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> do, do you tell somebody they have a arugula between their teeth, you know, linguistically speaking or, or toilet paper training, trailing from their shoes? I mean, that, that, that's a whole other thing to navigate. Um, but uh you can run into problems. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times that we have gotten emails at the show where somebody is railing against uh, somebody else's grammar, but they spell grammar E-R instead of A-R. So, I mean, I'm hoping that what I'm communicating is that there's so much uh, joy to be had from exploring everything else there is about language um, that that peeving about grammar, as uh, my co-host Grant and I like to say. I mean, we, we like to think of our show as sort of a spay and neuter program for pet peeves. Because, oh, funny. <laughs> <laughs> because, 
because there's just so much more fun to be had. There's so much more, uh, you know, happiness to, to uh, derive from, from the great diversity of language. Let's take a pause on that note. We are going to break for a moment. And when we come back, we are going to continue talking with my guest today, Martha Barnett. We're talking about using your words wisely, idioms, expression, and meaning. To learn more, please visit MarthaBarnett.com, on Twitter at Martha Barnett, and on Facebook. Guess what? Martha Barnett. Here comes the pause. We'll be right back. Before we pause, have you ever wondered how to merge passion and purpose? Do you ever wonder what your life would look like if you went down a completely different path? From Amazon Music, Season 2 of the Daigle Bites podcast is here to explore what could have been and maybe even inspire you to try new things along the way. Hosted by two-time Grammy, seven-time Billboard Music Award, and four-time American Music Award winner Lauren Daigle, the impressive artist is sitting down with some of the most well-respected and well-known personalities in industries Lauren may have chosen if she didn't pursue music. Guests like TV host Kristen Griffith Vanderyacht, Olympian Ryan Murphy, podcaster Annie F. Downs, network creator Corey Robertson, astronaut Shane Kimbrough from space, and more. When Lauren brought her Delta Blues smokehouse voice from the Louisiana Bayou to Nashville, everyone knew she was a singular talent. But Lauren's real gift is her ability to deeply connect with people. It's what made her the fastest selling new country Christian artist over the past decade and given her soulful, authentic vocal power a true following. Tune in for inspiring, hilarious, and encouraging conversations about chasing a new dream or reconnecting to the purpose behind your current one. To hear all of season two, follow the Daigle Bites podcast on Amazon Music. New episodes come out each week. Now let's take that brief pause. We'll be right back. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. And we're back continuing the conversation with Martha Barnett. We're talking about how to use your words wisely, idioms, expression, and meaning. Let's get back to it. We were talking about the good manners of refraining from griping about how others speak. And I was thinking about what you were saying, and during the break we were chatting, and at the end of the day, words exist to communicate. And if somebody is communicating their thoughts or their feelings or being able to express themselves, I guess at the end of the day, that's what's most important, right? Not not necessarily the correctness of the delivery. I think you're absolutely right, Lisa. I mean, yeah, you know, language itself really is a miracle. The fact that I can force air out of my lungs and and along these muscles and and through these holes in my head and use these these things called words to communicate um, ideas and feelings and and try to put them into your head. I mean, it 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 really is this miracle that's worth um, you know just stopping and and appreciating and marveling. And yeah, if somebody's um, doing their best to communicate with you, uh, then that's, that's something to really appreciate rather than getting all tripped up in, um, in uh, grammar, for example. Let's change the subject for a second. I'm curious how you got into linguistics. How did you end up here? Well, I love to tell this story because it's really the story of my very favorite failure ever. <laughs> <laughs> I have a list of a few failures in my life, but this is the one that I really love. I I keep saying to myself more and more these days that, you know, the end of the story is never the end of the story. I just I, that's become kind of a mantra for me. And and if I had been able to look back and tell my 19 year old self this, um, then I might have had a better time of it. What happened was that I was an English major. Remember, I was an English teacher's kid. And so I was uh, an English major in college. And we were encouraged to study a classical language in college. And I had had some Latin in high school. And so I thought, well, how cool would it be to learn ancient Greek? You know, I could read Homer in the original and Plato and Sappho and all those cool folks. Um, and so 
I took an ancient Greek class in college. What I didn't realize was that ancient Greek is really, really, really hard. It's, it's definitely harder than Latin. And you know that old expression, it's Greek to me? <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it really was. And I would, I would just sit there and, and think, how did a little ancient Greek kid ever learn to talk? This is so hard. You know, it's a, it's a different alphabet. There, there are all these different cases for each noun and, and six principal parts and four finite moods. And, and <clears throat> I ended, <clears throat> and I was flunking that class uh, oh. as a sophomore in college. And so rather than flunk the class, I decided to drop it right at the last minute. But, but here's where I pat myself on the back because I did make a promise to myself that I would go home to Kentucky and I would somehow find a starving graduate student who could tutor me in ancient Greek over the summer. <laughs> but I couldn't find one. What I did find, though, was an elderly man from Latvia who... It turned out was a retired professor of classics, a retired professor of Latin and Greek. What I didn't know at the time was that he was also an amazing polyglot. Uh, I, I would always ask him, Dr. Lakovsky, how many words, how many, sorry, I would always ask him, Dr. Lakovsky, how many languages do you know? And he would just chuckle and he would shrug and he would say, there are many languages I do not know. Um, <laughs> which, <laughs> even in that moment, I think, was teaching me that there's always something else to learn. I mean, here was this brilliant, brilliant guy from Latvia who spoke all these different languages. But what happened was that he started tutoring me in ancient Greek. And because he knew all these different languages, he started pointing out all these different connections between and among languages that are part of this great web, this great Indo-European web of languages, which arose from a common ancestor. And therefore, there are all these words uh, in various languages that are actually connected to each other, that actually have this common root, like the word foot. Uh, in, in Greek, it's podos, is, is of the foot. In Greek, it's ped, uh, sorry. In Latin, it's pedes of the foot, um, like pedestrian, like pedestal, like um, pedal. And, um, and there are all these Greek and Latin roots that uh, give us lots of different words in lots of different languages. There are just uh, octopus is another one, eight feet. Um, uh -huh. There are there's so many different connections that um, the study of etymology uh, allows you to see. It's almost like having x-ray vision to look at all these different languages uh, at once. And so I ended up going back the next semester and acing all my Greek courses. I, I went on to take every single Greek course I could. I later did graduate work in ancient Greek, and it was all because I was flunking out of ancient Greek when, when I was uh, a sophomore. You got me interested in the polyglot, and I have got a little fact for you that you may know, okay. but our listeners may not know this, and it's pretty amazing, that 1% of the world speaks five languages fluently, and 3% of the world speak more than four languages fluently. That's pretty that's, amazing. That's all? That's all. Wow. I was not aware of those statistics. I'm, I'm surprised that, actually, I'm surprised that it's that low. I'm thinking of in India, you usually speak at least three languages because they're, you know, it's such a mix of people and, uh, and tongues. That's really interesting. Well, it's, it's very surprising to me because I thought there would be more. And that came from the site ilanguages.org. I'm giving a little attribution hmm. here. So Okay. We're nearly out of time, and I wanted to um, ask you for the intervention, takeaway, or homework, and that would be ways to relax and, and have fun with the joys of language. Great question. I think I would suggest a couple of things. Uh, number one, those words are there to tell you stories. As I said, you know, language is fossil poetry. So if you run across a word in your reading or something you hear, 
don't just look up the definition, look up the origin of that word. One of my favorite words is the word mellifluous, which describes a beautiful sound or a beautiful voice. If you break it down into its original components, it comes from Latin words that literally mean flowing with honey, which Ooh. I think is, isn't that, isn't that beautiful? It's, it's this delicious little picture. If you speak Spanish, you, you recognize the miel in there, which means honey. Uh, and uh, the fluus in there means flowing. And so there are all kinds of um, wonderful little surprises um, when you look up uh, the etymology of the word. And the other thing is, um, is just listen and appreciate. If you hear somebody uh, saying a word or phrase that rankles you, maybe <laughs> think, think about why they say it. One question that we get a lot on Away With Words is people will call in and say, you know, somebody just moved to my off to you know to my town, and they're they're working next to me in the office, and they will say, uh, "My car needs washed," or "My cat needs fed," and that's just not right, is it? And what we get to say to them is that that construction needs washed is actually a vestige of Scots or Irish, and it the where that that uh, that phrase is used reflects the. Scots-Irish migration patterns in this country. And so what I usually say, if somebody says that I was on the massage table once and this and the, the massage, uh, a masseuse I'd never um, had before, and she said something about needs washed. And I said, would you by any chance happen to be from, say, eastern Indiana, western Ohio, western Pennsylvania? And she said, yeah. How did you know? It freaked her out. But but it's a marker of being from that part of the country. And so to me, there's, you know, rather than criticize this person for the way they're talking, um, what's really delicious to me is to, to think about why that might be. Maybe they have something to teach you. Very, very interesting. Um, uh, uh, as you're speaking, and, and then we really got to go, is, you know, <laughs> the term when someone is in hospital. Right. That, it, mm -hmm. that, that it, the British use that, that, that they're in hospital. And here mm -hmm. we would say in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is a that is a difference that a lot of people bring up in terms of uh, British English uh, versus American English. You know, George Bernard Shaw said that American English and British English are two language are two. America and Britain are two countries separated by a common language. And <laughs> you know, it's it's really true. I mean, we do say in this country in school or in college, for yeah. example, without the D um in Britain they say in university or at university. Yes. It's just one of those places where where those two um, uh, versions of English have bifurcated. And of course, you know, if you're talking about English, which English are you talking about? There's Jamaican English, there's South African English, there's New Zealand English. There are all these different kinds of English. So, so again, uh, we're, we're back to my point. There's so much joy to be had. There's so much to explore uh, rather than to, to criticize somebody else for the way they talk. Interested in more words? Head on over to waywardradio.org and hang out with Martha Barnett over there. To learn more about Martha and her work, please go over once again to waywardradio.org, on Twitter at Wayward, and on Facebook, Away With Words. Martha Barnett, thanks for having a word party with me. <laughs> Anytime. My pleasure. Let's take that break, and we'll be right back. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. Continue that conversation about how to use your words wisely, idioms, expression, and meaning. My next guest is Beth Koblener. She is a commentator and journalist, a New York Times bestselling author several times over. Beth has contributed to many well-known U.S. magazines and newspapers, including the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Huffington Post. A graduate of Brown University, she lives in New York with her family. We're talking about her latest book, 
so to speak. 11,000 expressions that'll knock your socks off. And I also want to pay tribute to Beth's parents who began this book. Shirley and Harold Kobliner spent more than half a century nurturing and teaching children in various settings, so to speak, is a reflection of their passion for education and their deeply held belief that the best and most lasting learning is accomplished when people are having fun. Amen. Welcome, Beth. Oh, it's great to be here, Lisa. Thank you. Oh, it is great to have you because fun, playfulness, taking ourselves to that place of childlike wonder, this creates happiness. It's so true. And even the origin of the book, is all about happiness and childishness in some ways. Um, You know, my parents were reading a book to their grandson's class, my son's class, a bunch of kindergarteners. And at one point, the kids were moving all around. And my mom said, it looks like you guys have ants in your pants. And the (laughs) kids started laughing. They, They had never heard that expression. And soon my dad said, well, what are other expressions have to do with bugs and insects? And one said social butterfly and snug as a bug in the rug or don't let the bed bugs bite. And on the way home, my parents, who were lifelong educators, they realized this would make a great book. And they began collecting expressions over 13 years. And the result out of this hobby was the book, so to speak, the one that they have just gotten published by Simon & Schuster. And what fun it is. I mean, we can all think of expressions that we use in our everyday conversation that are these little pockets or nuggets of wisdom, you know, like he or she was over the moon. That was one that just popped into my mind. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, it's true. And these are these expressions that we use all the time without thinking about it. And uh, one sort of point, the main point my parents wanted for this book to do is to be a catalyst conversation. They felt that, you know, we're all on the phone and on our iPads and computers, and it might, it was nice to sort of put that down. And what they did was the way they collected 11,000 expressions was by everyday conversation, by listening to TV, the radio, any way they could practice what they called the art of listening. So they didn't use Google. They did not Google for new expressions and they didn't look at other existing expressions. So basically for more than a decade, it was just one activity that they would talk to the people in the supermarket and their grandkids and their friends to get new expressions until they reached 11,000. So they did this the old fashioned way, the research by experiencing rather than burying one's nose in the computer. Absolutely. You know, it's funny because They were both born in 1929, the Depression generation. So clearly they didn't grow up with computers. Um, But as educators, and as just sort of active, lively people, uh, they started this book in their 70s, but they found a great joy in interacting with the world around them, talking about this and interacting with their grandkids about this. And, you know, at one point when they got 8,000 expressions, my dad said, you know, he said to his grandkids, I'll give you a dollar for each new expression that you could come up with because he was afraid that they would never get to 10,000. Um, and then after a few weeks, he said, nope, I'm going to go broke. I'm going to change the deal. But by that point, we were all addicted. You know, all of us, the grandkids, us, you know, my generation, my brothers and I, um, everybody found the joy and fun of coming up with expressions and then categorizing them and playing games with them. So, for example, give us a couple of your favorite expressions, ones that maybe you discovered that you didn't know about through your parents and your kids' research. Right. Well, one that I did know but brings back so many memories uh, is don't burn the candle at both ends. My mother used to say that to me when I was junior high school and high school, then you're taking piano lessons and dance lessons and this and that and running around. Don't burn the candle at both ends. So I thought that was always that one. That one resonates with me a lot. Um, And my dad always said, um, don't put off tomorrow what you can do today. He was a real believer in not procrastinating. He really (laughs) stuck to it, which was sort of interesting. But they were an interesting combination. My dad was a principal and a serious guy and a very organized guy. So as they were writing down the 11,000 expressions, he would be the one keeping the list. 
And my mom was a little more, she was a chemist, she was a chemistry teacher, but a little more, you know, lighthearted and fun. So it really was a, you know, fun activity for them. Um, but people are telling me when they're reading the book, it brings back memories like, oh, wow, you know, my dad told me I was dumb as an ox or whatever. <laughs> some bad, some good. But it's really been interesting how expressions really trigger very strong memories in people from their either childhoods or their young adult life. Uh, it's very interesting to hear about. He wasn't the sharpest tool in the box. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> I love that one. I actually remember learning that one in college. Or you say, not the sharpest tool in the shed. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also love this one. Hunger is the best sauce. And Ooh. this is, to think about it, hunger is the best sauce. And that's uh, one that uh, I heard years ago. And now I understood it after the pandemic hit because I've been cooking at home and I've never cooked in more than 25 years of marriage. It was not my thing. But I find now that if I cook and there are no other options, and ki- you know, our kids and my husband are hungry, they say, ooh, this is so delicious. And that's when it hammered home to me. Hunger is the best sauce. Oh, that's a, that's a good one. I have never heard of that yeah. one. And I think that's the point of this book is that you can share this book with, with anybody. I mean, they're great icebreakers in a conversation with people mm-hmm. that you don't even know to get, to get curious and, and have yeah. fun with words. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And what's, what was really wonderful about my parents is they were so curious about everything. And they came across some really fun things, like a friend of theirs, Diane, um, she used to always use her mother's old Irish expression, as fast as O'Grady's dog. Um, wow. And then one day, Diane went to Ireland and met a friend of her mother's who said, oh, that's where your mother lived, and that's where the O'Grady's lived, and oh, they had the craziest dog, always run out of the house. And Diane, it hit her at that moment, oh, as fast as O'Grady's dog isn't an old Irish expression. It was just a personal one known only to her mother's neighborhood. So you sort of see how things get turned into expressions. Yeah. Oh, that, that, that's, that's really interesting. Talk about games that we can play with these phrases, because this is a favorite part of your parents, right? They were very playful and you have uh, perpetuated this tradition in their honor, both with the book and on the website, right? You mentioned that there are several games you can play. Right. So it's on, so to speak, book.com. Uh, there are a, a bunch of games uh, that are for free and you can just play them word games. Um, probably my favorite game. And if you want to play it for a second, we have the game real or fake. So I'm going to say an expression and you tell me if it's real or fake. Okay. Okay. Uh, so uh, it's darkest beneath the lighthouse, real or fake? Real. Correct. Very good. Ding, 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 ding. Do I get, do I get an out, an outgoing message authored by you? Sure. (laughs) Blurry as powder in water, real or fake? Blurry as powder in water. Real. Fake. That one's fake. Fake. Yeah, Uh let's do one more. A yellow dog contract. Is that real or fake? Fake. It's real. Where is that from? So yellow dog contracts were what people were asked to sign in the olden days by a potential employer, which promised the future employee would not join a union. So now these are illegal, but there were yellow dog contracts that, you know, if you signed it, the employer would say, I'll hire you because I know you won't join a union and cause me trouble was the thought. Um, So that was just an expression from a long time ago that has, is still a real expression, but it doesn't sound real. And I have one more. Even the smartest cow is illiterate. Illiterate. Oh, mm, that's true. I, I would say that's true. That one's fake. My husband made that one up. <laughs> oh, that's a good one though. But because yeah. it's 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 a tr- it's a truth. <laughs> <laughs> so there are all kinds of fun games. I have. There's another one called uh, Mrs. Malaprop. If we have a minute to do that one, yes. You, okay, you're really game. Thank you. Um. Okay, so there's. Is it home in or hone in? To home in on something or to hone in on something? Oh, wow. I have often wondered about that myself. <laughs> so let me, let, me, let me take a guess. I would say, I mean, to hone is to sort of whittle away at, right? Mm-hmm. 
and to home is to sort of return to base. So which do you think it is? Uh, <laughs> I'm going with hone. You know what? I thought that too, but it's actually home in. To home in means to get closer to something. But in recent decades, people have used hone in as a substitute, but that means to sharpen or make more intense. So it's really home in, clearly. Um, all right, let me give you one more. Is it to clinch the deal or cinch the deal? Cinch. It's to clinch the deal. Oh. Yeah, because cinch is like your waist. Like if you wear a belt, you cinch it in. But to clinch the deal in the sense of making it final, like you clinch the deal. Wow. And you know what's interesting about what you're sharing is also how these have evolved over times, right? Like, you know, yes. home versus right. home, that the, the, the phrase has uh, adapted yes. to meet that's, the times. That's absolutely true. In fact, it's interesting because dictionaries are now sort of going with, you know, it used to be between you and me. And now they're saying, well, it's okay to say between you and I, or, you know, it's, it, well, actually it's the opposite. You can say, you and I are going, you know, me and him are going is now okay. You know, they, they're adapting more rather than having right and wrong. Uh, uh, interesting. I mean, people have very mixed feelings about it. I do too. The me and you area. thing, it is yeah. not happening for me. Maybe that is the sign of my age. When I hear yeah. my, my kids talk like that, I'm like, what? Right. I know. I know. It's really interesting. And I think that just as language evolves. You know, my dad is a, uh, read the dictionary. He was a very poor boy from Bronx during the Depression, and he felt his only way out was to read the dictionary. So before he went to college, he read the whole dictionary. So he knew every word. He knew all the grammar rules. And what's been so rewarding is I sent the book, so to speak, to all these lexicographers, which I didn't know that word, but it's people who write, it's people who write dictionaries. And they are saying this, this it's very difficult and unusual. This was an astonishing collection because it's a it assembles multi-word expressions. Apparently, that's very hard to do on a computer. So it's both fun and very unusual to have people spend all these years collecting all these expressions and writing them down. Wow. Oh, I think it's a treasure trove. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Beth Kobliner. To learn more, please go to sotospeakbook.com. And you can find Beth also at uh, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Beth Kobliner. That's Beth Kobliner. Not Instagram, it's actually B. Kobliner. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is an absolute promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. A boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. Welcome back. We're continuing to explore how to use your words wisely, idioms, expression, and meaning. Let's get back to the conversation with Beth Koblener. So Beth, during the pause, you and I were talking about how books like this and how the dictionary and how language in, in of itself are living, breathing organisms, so to speak, that they shift over time, right? Meaning has changed as we have evolved. Absolutely. And by the way, when you, uh, your last break, you said it's a treasure trove. And I don't know if you meant that, realize that was an expression. And now you said, so to speak, the name of the title. So you're going to find yourself using tons of expressions and catching yourself. Yes. So, so talk a little bit about, about how yeah. language is, a, is a living organism and things do change. And, and the one, one word that comes to mind is woke 
right? But we used to think of woke as something very, very different. And the modern interpretation of that is very, very powerful. Yes, yes, right. So we would say socially aware, you know, uh, and, and woke is a term that basically means that socially conscience, conscious, uh, you know, uh, um, paying attention to what's going on in the world. Um, one, one of my favorite examples is um, for my generation, if you gossip, you say to dig the dirt or touch the dirt on someone. And young people say, spill the tea. So that's oh. exact same meaning, but just a different term. And of course, today we have all these, you know, uh, text acronyms, L- LOL, um, and every other acronym you could think of. That FOMO? Young people, exactly. YOLO. Yeah. You know, all these different ways of, um, of saying things um, that really have emerged from texting. So, and emailing too, to some extent. So um, what's also interesting is that uh, when you look at these expressions, my parents really, they spent a lot of time organizing them into different categories, which really makes the book so fun. There are 67 categories. And one thing they noticed, for example, is that mostly the expressions for men are often positive and happy. And the ones for women tend to be more a bummer. For example, there's, you know, Dapper Dan, Good Time Charlie, John Roger, Six Pack. And then for women, there's Debbie Downer, Nervous Nellie, Lazy Susan. So that, you know, expressions like that can really sort of tap into maybe sexism or some sort of, you know, I, I use it that way. Mm. You know, there, are twice, there are twice as many expressions for dogs than are you know, Um and mostly I found very interesting is that they're more sad expressions, happy ones. For uh, the women. Uh, for p- everybody in general. When you look at, say, for example, we have a category, heaven and hell, angel and devil. And there are three times as many devil and hell expressions than there are of angel and heaven expressions. Uh, you know, deal with the devil, snowball's chance of hell, we go on and on and on. And one reason maybe is because as we try to deal with things that are scary to us over time we've come up with expressions to maybe it makes it gives it a little positive spin or at least not a really horrible spin um and so if that's been an interesting thing to sort of look at why we yeah that's interesting and it, well and it's like almost a little micro story about the situation yeah, teeny yeah. teeny story Exactly. You know, and I think at this time, there's wordplay is really on the rise with people at home and the pandemic. And, you know, there've been huge jumps in board games and Scrabble. And and I think this time of family being together has increased the interest in words and discussions and games. And, you know, games have been known to you know, be a one, one significant factor in improving older people's cognitive functioning. Um, you know, my parents were doing this and collecting expressions up till the very end, and they were sharp as tacks. You know, their bodies were not well in the end, but their minds were. Um, so it, it is something that is, you know, feels good and good for you, you know, talking about words and remembering expressions that were meaningful. And when we look at um, modern lexicons, you know, my kids will say to me occasionally, you look fat in those jeans and I give them the stink eye. I'm like, no, 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 mom, this is a good thing. Your butt looks fat. Ah, (laughs) You know? Right, right. I know. And I mortify them. They're like, no, that's a good thing. (laughs) Right, right. Or, you know, in our generation, it was maybe like, he's really bad and that means good. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So the, 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 the negative becomes the positive. Exactly. The other fun thing is their origin story. So I don't know if you want to do a quick one yeah. or two origin story game. So the expression cold feet to get cold feet. Um, where does that come from? Was it one frostbite of the feet was such a common problem in the 19th century England that mothers would warn against getting cold feet as their children left for school? Or is it two, a military term that referred to warriors with cold feet not being able to rush into battle. Oh, mm. I go, mm. I go door number one with that. <laughs> mm, it's 
it's door number two. Ah! I know. I guessed that one too when I first did it. Oh it's my actually gosh. a military term that warriors, you know, they would get literally cold feet, ice cold feet. And then it, I guess, also means the fear of going into something. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. One more. Yes, um, please. Crocodile tears. So, you know, when they say someone has. Yeah. So is it one? It was believed that crocodiles weep while devouring their prey, which has since been proven to be true by scientists. Or is it two? Similar to snake oil, crocodile tears were sold as a health tonic by 19th century peddlers. Oh, I'm going number two. It's one. Ah! (laughs) It's actually true. When crocodiles eat their prey, water comes out of their eyes. So that's where they came up with the, you know, the term crocodile tears. It's tricky. It's tricky. But what I love about this is it's just good, clean, squeaky fun. You know, it's like you you can have a conversation, you pass time, you learn something. And that and that is also the point of this. Yeah, I think that's right. And also intergenerational conversation. You know, grownups here can sort of shed light, another expression, on the ones that they know from their childhood. Uh, You know, I'm fit as a fiddle or, you know, just there are a million of them. Versus younger people can also give advice on, like you said, fat being a good term. Or um, at the back of the book, there's a whole section called yourself where you can write on your own expression or your family expression. Funds left out of the book. Um, and for, uh, if people want to, you know, reach the book in particular on social media, it's at so to speak book. So there are all kinds of ways to participate. I'm so interested in hearing people's favorite expressions. Um, it just, it sure does tell you a lot about where someone is from, you know, where they lived, who they hang, hung out with. There's just a lot of, um, there's a lot of rich information that comes from our expressions, and of course, from other countries. Like in Sweden, they say, don't get weird stuck in the mailbox. Um, and that's sort of like, don't get your hand caught in the cookie jar. Interesting. Yes, it's true. Well, your parents were very, very cool people to think to um, create a book like this that would uh, give us hours of good fun, I think is pretty neat. Uh, We're out of time. But to learn more about Beth's work and the book, go to sotospeakbook.com. You can also find her on Twitter and Facebook at Beth Kobliner and on Instagram, it's B. Kobliner. Beth, thanks for hanging out with me. This was such good fun. I had the best time, Lisa. Me too. (laughs) Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen on behalf of my guests, Martha Barnett and Beth Kobliner, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Please go out and rock your day. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUU Radio Malibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. <laughs>